0: Girls, hit your hallelujah. It is Freedom Friday on the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Gail Stewart here, your producer and co-host, along with Raul Sandlin, my trusty co-host. Hello. Yeah, always
1: here, Gail. <laughs> Happy oh, Friday. Oh, God, is it ever. It's it. Said we needed it this week, didn't we?
0: Oh, it was big, big, big. Been to Sacramento, been to Hollywood. Yeah, you've been traveling. yeah. Oh. Have I ever? Hey, we scored, okay? I tell you, Raul, we scored. Guess who's joining us today on the San Diego Screenwriter Studio? The award-winning Keiko Green. She's an actor, screenwriter, and playwright. She is the one woman behind the two blockbuster plays in San Diego, The Old Globes, Coming of Age, Comedy, Exotic, Deadly, and the most recent, at Signet Theatre in Old Town, Sharon, which I actually saw. It was very cool. She's also a writer in the room, people, on Hulu's upcoming Interior Chinatown program.
1: This whole new young generation of writers and filmmakers.
0: Oh, man, she's awesome. And Raul, you're going to be talking about script structure. And, oh, do we need this type of information?
1: Yeah, I'm going to be talking about the middle of the script. And it, there's a lot of moving parts, so don't just call it act two because it's a little more complicated than that. And I will explain. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. Mr. Sandlin will explain. Hey, I've got a quick update on my second screenwriting class. It was last night with Rex McGee. He is with Story Summit and is a Billy Wilder protege. We discussed what's in Act One of a feature film, specifically The Wizard of Oz. Okay.
1: That was awesome. Oh, my
0: gosh. So I'm going to go just do a little bit of that. Uh, For the pros out there, it'll probably be elemental. Uh, But for me, uh, it was mind-blowing blowing okay i've seen that film like 10 times and what he pointed out in this film unbelievable so that's coming up later too but first we're going to introduce the brilliant keiko green she's coming up you're listening to the san diego screenwriter studio
2: sharon was, was kind of written really in the midst of the pandemic just um kind of you know being stuck within these four walls of my grad school housing and and just feeling really, really stuck and trying to kind of literalize that metaphor of, you know, being being stuck in your home.
0: Right. Right. And so the Signet Theater is really a wonderful place to see a play because it's so intimate. Let's talk a little bit about the actors because the actors that you pull together for the show, Deanna Driscoll, Raphael Goldstein, uh of course you, Keiko Green, Kat Pena, and MJ C. I mean, you guys were you guys were so funny. And but I gotta say Raphael he just was so with
2: a theater like signet it's kind of especially because the director Robbie Luchy is also a friend of mine now um we, we met um about three, 3 4 years ago doing a play um, he you know we're friends and and we were kind of able to just kind of gather who we whoever we thought would one be really great in the play and understand its very strange tone and the yes. tone changes throughout the play yes it does yeah, and then also people that we just want to actually hang with. You know?
0: <laughs> That's um, important, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, so, yeah, we, we ended up
2: assembling this cast that is kind of from um, various points of my life. M.J. Berg, who plays Greg, is my husband. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and um, And Raphael, he actually, he and I went to undergrad together an eternity ago. And and you know he he was he was known even then as just being kind of a, an amazing actor and so to get to kind of re re meet him over a decade later was um, pretty amazing and, and that kind of came up a little bit by chance yeah and so and originally I wasn't planning on being in the show but was kind of talked into it by our director Robbie who met me first as an actor so. Um, yeah, and then Kat, Kat Pena, we um, went to grad school together, so she's kind of a newer, newer right. friend. And she was, is a, she was
0: really, Kat was good, and then Deanna, yeah. she was hilarious. Where did you meet her?
2: Deanna is, is a San Diego, was a San Diego kind of staple for a long time, one of those, like, if you need a gritty Chicago-style San Diego actor, <laughs> you get Deanna. <laughs> um, and she's also a great friend of Robbie's, so once again, we just kind of like were able to assemble this team that, um that yeah that we, we that we kind of knew we would be able to have a certain level of of ease and you know sometimes the the theater scene can be a little bit um sensitive now especially now you know there's a lot of um Talk and and but this play we kind of needed a group that we could be a little ugly with and make off color jokes and. Well, I think um, I
0: think I think the world in general has become very very sensitive about everything, right? And you're not quite sure how it's going to play out in public. I mean, actors are canceled executives are canceled i mean not for the sexual harassment or anything but just something a word that comes out of their mouth so i mean yeah you're it's edgy out there so you gotta be careful yeah
2: Yeah. and i think that if you know we were definitely a room of people where you know we were we the jokes yeah it was weird weird it was crass it was silly it was ugly and in the best way. And, um, and I think that you can tell when you come to the show, like, oh, those people have a lot of fun together.
0: So after the blockbuster plays, Keiko got noticed in L.A. and landed an agent and then Hollywood heartbreak. Playwright is much different than screenwriting and definitely different than TV writing, right? It's all kind of, I mean, it's the same and yet it's very different. So tell me how you switch back and forth between those.
2: Yeah. You know, I had a really sobering experience. I think I had a, I got my TV agent right before coming to grad school, um, just based on my my plays, actually. And that first year with with her, I had, um, I think it's important for us all to have a little bit of that, like, Hollywood heartbreak, <laughs> so we kind of know for next time. Oh, absolutely. There lot of, there's just so much unpaid labor that that people don't quite realize we are asked, screenwriters are asked to do, you know, when it comes to the pitching and the rev- revising the pitching, and you can to be developing projects with a production company for, like, years and not be a penny, you know? Right, so right. Kind of Yeah, for for one project where we were developing this. This, I at first pitched it to them as a feature, a rom-com, you know, and and the way the world works now is like, they're so rarely interested in original ideas. It's more, you know, we have a mandate for this. We have, (laughs) so they were wanting a rom-com love triangle set in Asia. And I, you know, I came up with something for them and I pitched it to them as a feature. They said this seems more like a TV show. So we started developing it as a TV show. And in that, I think that first summer or maybe the second summer out of um in the pandemic we were already pitching we got we got to pitch to all the you know the major well the major streamers and then a couple of yeah um, regular networks and yep. yeah and we actually had um you know the heartbreak came with um you know as a someone who had never worked in tv before they had connected me with a, a showrunner couple yes um which I now would be a little bit more weary of. Um, and we went and pitched it. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we actually sold it. And then it was like the contract I looked at. It was like more money than I had ever seen in my life. You know, I was just like, oh my gosh, this okay. actually means I can, I can like be financially stable. And um, I, I signed my contract. The production company signed their contract and they just couldn't close with showrunners.
0: Why? And was it over money?
2: And everyone thought that the that meant that they were just connecting with new showrunners and the the whole deal fell through. Um, Wait a minute.
0: Partners. Why did the, sh- why were the showrunners the holdout?
2: Because they didn't, because, okay, so this is what happens. So when, when you're working with um, writing partners, as you probably already know, you know, they're splitting a the salary. Yes. So um, this is a married couple. And so I think their expectation was as a married couple, that's, a showrunning team that they would get paid kind of on the higher end of what uh, a showrunner would be paid and split that yes. versus getting kind of like a lower end showrunner salary. that yeah. then they have to split as, yep. a, as a couple. So yep. yeah, so for for me, you know, if I had known that 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 was going to be an issue, that you know, if you, you know, when you have a showrunner writing team, suddenly that means that like they're going to be asking and negotiating for for a lot more maybe than someone who's on their own might. Okay. Um and so that was a really sobering moment the whole yeah the whole thing fell through. I've kind of run into one of them again at a party and a you know it, uh, it's you know it's very very awkward. And awkward. Strange, but, <laughs> but, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and then yeah, since then I, I got the I've I've picked on a couple of things. I, I did write on a TV show last year. Um, I joined the WGA on a on a TV show called Interior Chinatown. Oh, um, which will be on Hulu probably in, in the coming January, I think.
0: Interior um, Chinatown, right?
2: Interior Chinatown, yeah, and it's based on the novel by Charlie Yu, who and he was the showrunner. He he wrote for um, he was a novelist first, and then. And then wrote for um, the first season of Westworld and yeah, and and a couple other shows and, and then wrote this book called Into Your Chinatown, which is kind of written as as if it's a screenplay. Uh And then they, and then sold that and became the showrunner of the show. Yeah. And I got to write an episode for that. um, So you were in the
0: writer's room. Yeah. You got in the writer's room. Yeah. oh yeah 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 last
2: summer and yeah, and that was all virtual because Charlie Charlie's based in Irvine, so we couldn't quite meet in person. We met in person like five five days total, maybe okay. out of our twenty week, yeah, and so I got yeah, I got to write an episode for that, and yeah, I've been and probably the other thing when it comes to screenwriting is right before the pandemic we were out pitching a um i, I had kind of been developing this sci-fi sci-fi thriller feature with uh, another production company that we were we pitched like to six different financiers the week right before the strike
0: So oh, God. <laughs>
2: it's a very weird experience to kind of you know talk to everybody really trying to pitch this, this project and you know getting people excited about it and then two days later I'm like not allowed to talk to anyone
0: You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We'll have more with Keiko Green coming up. But right now, we are going to take a left turn with Raul Sandelin. We're going to talk about the middle, the middle of a feature film, right?
1: Yeah, actually, it's like the bait and switch. And I... Really glad we interviewed Keiko Green for this episode because she's a master of the bait and switch.
0: Yes, and Sharon, and, unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and I've just reading some of the literature. Even the critics noticed that about her, <laughs> you know. So some somebody I think even crowned her, you know, the the queen of the bait and switch, something like that. But anyway, why do I mention that? Because this uh, bait and switch deals with exactly what we're going to talk about today, and it's the middle. And why is there a bait and switch? Because often when we are watching act one of a movie, I'll just call them movies, films, whichever you yeah. want. Uh, but watching a movie, you think that the entire movie is about one thing and then it all kind of changes. Right. And we we feel the tone change. Things get serious. Things get ratcheted up. And suddenly we feel like we're going somewhere else. And that's this bait and switch that Keiko Green is so good at. Mm -hmm. And that bait and switch occurs right at the beginning of this middle. But very quickly, I do want to give a quick shout out. You know, everything that I talk about in my segments on this podcast, I really owe to uh, other screenwriters and teachers, you know, to particularly Sid Field, who wrote the book literally on the three-act structure, three-act screenplay, and then uh, Linda Aronson, who I've mentioned, who wrote the 21st Century screenplay, which takes SIDS and adapts it and shows how to embellish the original three-act structure.
0: Right, and Scott Uh, Myers, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention him. Yeah, he was So many, so
1: so many. So I'm really not coming up with anything new here. I'm just, you know, stealing it and distilling it for your listening pleasure.
0: You're imparting your wisdom, (laughs)
1: novel. But see, it's not my (laughs) wisdom. I stole it from Sid and Linda. Whatever, whatever. So, So my kudos to Sid and Linda. But anyway, the middle uh some might just say this is act two but it really isn't it begins in, at the end of act one at the first turning point and the, everything I'm going to talk about today really is anchored by the three turning points and they are at the very end of act one in the very middle of your screenplay and it's also called the midpoint And then the very end of act two, and that can then bleed into act three. So you can see this is a lot more than just act two. You'll often hear the term soggy middle, saggy middle, same thing can happen with film scripts. And usually this occurs because the screenwriter thinks it's time to explore all the B, C, and D stories. These are the stories about the sidekicks, the teammates, maybe a mentor or teacher, maybe the romantic interest. And all too often these B, C, D stories just sort of meander off into their own directions we hear you know about the sidekick's grandmother but these become boring because they aren't connected to the plot right so this is what happens and you get what is called a soggy middle and i want to soggy or saggy soggy saggy (laughs) or sagging i've heard all three (laughs) the 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 point is is it doesn't hold itself up and the audience gets bored so what I want to do is replace this with with what I'm going to call an action middle, because the tension, the suspense, the right. action doesn't stop here. First, you start with the turning point number one. This is at the end of act one. This is the seventh scene in my 28-scene screenplay structure that I talked about last week. Yes, that was very interesting. Uh, thank though. you. Thank you. And again, I'm just distilling from the greats here. Uh, so you start with that turning point where there's an inciting incident and the hero must confront the antagonist. Mm-hmm. However, here's the, here's the little detail, the nuance. At turning point one, the hero is forced to act, but he's still reluctant. He's still fearful, doubtful, um, it perhaps has inner demons pulling him back. So he physically acts, and I'm just using he's here, but forgive me. Uh, but he, he, he knows he must act, but in, inside he still feels reluctant or held back. That's turning point one. Then we go into the B, C, and D stories, and here's where most scripts get lost because we go off on these tangents. Again, the sidekick's grandmother. Here's where you can reel everything back. Now you use these B, C, and D stories to address not the sidekick's grandmother, but to address these inner demons, doubts, and fears within the hero. So the B, C, and D stories aren't there to reveal the other characters. They're really there to reveal more about the protagonist and support that plot keep the engine moving the all of the other stories need to support the the a plot so that's where you're going to be able to keep your script in tune using these other stories to address the protagonist's fears and doubts not their own you know life stories then you get to the second turning point and this is the exact middle of your script. And the, this midpoint. Is the midpoint. The yeah. midpoint. And if you look at so many movies, this falls almost numerically at the middle point. If it's a 90-minute film, this occurs at minute 45.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it doesn't have to it can be a little off, you know, but it you'd be surprised how often, you know, you'll see the midpoint occur exactly at the midpoint. I've got a good long list of examples. My favorite is, you know, I'm a godfather buff. So my favorite is when Michael goes into the restaurant with the, you know, the the dirty Irish cop and the rival mobster, and he kills them both. That's the midpoint in The Godfather. The threshold. Yeah. And he can't go back. Innocent Michael, who didn't want to go into the family business, who wanted to just be legitimate and marry his girlfriend, has now committed two murders. He's locked into the family can't get out.
0: Now, on a happier note, the midpoint in The Wizard of Oz, just I, to I kind of... I love The Wizard
1: <laughs> of Oz. It's, yeah.
0: Is when they arrive in Emerald City, okay? Dorothy and uh, her three her three guys. cross you know? the gates. Yeah, they yeah. have arrived in Emerald City, and that's the midpoint in that
1: film, so. Every film, every good film, we should say, you know, there are right, films, right. and then there's good films. Yes. So every good film should have a great midpoint, and if you're interested in looking further again the godfather has a good one uh all the star wars movies because they follow this you know hero's journey joseph campbell model so they all have good uh midpoints lethal weapon and also uh for something a little more light and comical sister act yeah. Uh, with whoop, gold. Yeah. That
0: was good. That was a fun movie.
1: So those are some movies if you want to watch and kind of identify the midpoint. Uh, so that's at the very, that's turning point two in the very middle of the film. Then we re explore all of the plots. We, mm-hmm. we explore the A plot and then the B, C, D plots as all of these plots ratchet up the tension. Okay, and this becomes the second half of Act Two, and all the plots are pushing the protagonist to the brink, okay? He's fighting the villain, his sidekick is romantic interest is you know causing him you know love problems and he has to deal with that his boss is on his butt you know all these things are coming down on him all at once and that's the second half of act two and then that leads to the end of act two and turning point number three which is the end of this middle And just one last little note, this turning point number 3 starts at the end of Act 2, but it can also continue and bleed into Act 3. There's a fight or the hero's getting tortured and he loses consciousness. This is the point where Robinson Crusoe, you know, loses consciousness and wakes up and, you know, the all the little people are bouncing around around him. So there's another <laughs> change that occurs here. And really what it is is the hero, the protagonist leaving this magical world and coming back out to reality. There we go. But more on that in another episode.
0: Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Raul. You are very welcome. Awesome. Act two, that's it. The middle, right? And Keiko Green is still with us, the award-winning playwright, actor, screenwriter coming up. You got to stay with us on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We are here with Keiko Green, playwriter, screenwriter, and actor. This lady does it all. And she confirms what Hollywood literary manager Stephen Crawford told me just last week. Features are the way to go.
2: Yeah, I think, well, you know, realistically, you can use anything as as a sample now, I would say. So if you're, you know, if you're trying to get into a TV writer's room, like, you don't actually have to have a TV sample. I, I, I got my, I got into the writer's room because of my because of a play. Yes, actually, even though I had a TV sample, um, and so, you know, you can get hired on from from a feature sample as well. So, uh, you know, there's there's kind of no reason to to feel like you have to write a TV script. Uh, I, I think. Um, and and the plus side of the feature side is like you could actually sell a feature. Yes,
0: that's what he <laughs> you know, said.
2: Probably never going to sell. The, the TV pilot you write is probably always just going to be a sample, um, but a feature you might actually sell.
0: Okay. So, that's good advice. Yeah. Very, that's exactly what he said. So, uh, you know, Stephen Crawford was uh, doing me a favor by talking to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's talk about now you have another play that you wrote that premiered at the Old Globe, right? Yeah. So tell yeah. us about it's- that one.
2: Yeah, so that was called Exotic Deadly or the MSD play. Um and it was wildly different from Sharon, which was kinda I was kind of um worried about what people would think when they came to therapy. <laughs> Exotic deadly full comedy adventure with time travel that was following the the a fourteen year old girl and we were really inside her brain. So the whole perspective was very like just very <laughs> it was just very fun and um fast and in, in sweet and, yes. and sweet and 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 you know and colorful and um, people were really loving it and it really ended on a um, a moment where you know people were leaving feeling so warm and joyful <laughs> <laughs> and it had so much more to do, that, that play has has to do with um, Asian American identity a little bit more and, and specifically about the misinformation about MSG and and kind of using that concept to tell a larger story about kind of like feeling shame about your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, and that was, you know, a very fun and successful over at the Old Globe. We, you know, in both cases, I really, you know, we're like trying to put marketing in our own hands a little bit too. It's always kind of tricky with theaters because, you know, it, with the bigger theaters, they have to, uh, you know, there's so many more people that have to approve something. So sometimes it can feel like it's taking a little bit longer to get the word out. Um, with Signet, it's a smaller theater company, and they're kind of like, they just like gave us like, um, access to their Instagram. So I'm just being able to really, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a hustler. You kind of have to be in, yes. in both industries, in theater and, and in film and TV. So, um, you know, I'm happy to kind of take the reins. Once in a while, and you know, be head of my own marketing. So. A
0: self-proclaimed hustler. I love it, Keiko. I love. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah. So this is the deal. Final thoughts from you on what's next for you. Where are you going? I know uh, Sharon is closed. It'll be closed by the time this airs. But just amazing work there. But what's next for Keiko Green?
2: Thank you. Um, yeah, I have. I have two world premieres coming up next year, so I have to kind of I'm just like in crunch mode to just kind of get those ready in the theater side and and I've actually decided to take this um uh, WJ stri- strike time take like a screenwriting class and and really just to kind of you know it's, it's hard for us sometimes to keep ourselves accountable in our in our pages and our writing and so I'm t- kind of taking a class to like relearn some basics and to Keep myself accountable to have people that are expecting pages from me, um, and I'm gonna write my um, my heist movie.
0: Ooh, oh, they yeah, action! They're really demanding action in uh, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they like action in Hollywood. I tell you, adventure and action, right? And rom coms,
2: like kind of like a, an indie, an indie heist.
0: Okay, that sounds that sounds fantastic. So listen, thank you so much for joining the Screenwriter studio. We are indebted to Keiko Green. My goodness, she's on the rise, people.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: We are just about to close the San Diego Screenwriter Studio door. I'm Gail Stewart, your producer and co-host, along with Raul Sandlin. Hey, I just want to quickly mention in Final Thoughts that, you know, last night was my second class with Rex McGee, Screenwriting 101, unbelievable. He dissected the first 18 minutes of The Wizard of Oz based on the first act structure. So we'll go over that in another episode. But what was interesting with Rex McGee is that he's got all this inside knowledge about stuff. Like, say, first act when the tornado hits. He says that, you know, the uh, set directors and stuff, those guys knew all about tornadoes. A lot of them were from Texas. So he said they got every fan that MGM owned on the set, the largest set, and they set it up to create this huge tornado coming at them, right?
1: And you said that they used a nylon stocking according, as the tornado. Right? Uh,
0: according to Rex McGee, yeah, there was a, they used, somehow used this black nylon stocking, and that's what you saw in the background. Twirling around, twirling, yeah. yeah, 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 as the tornado coming down on the farm.
1: To me, that's complete, absolutely fascinating. This DIY, do-it-yourself um, animation, it's model building—it's
0: the magic of movies.
1: Yeah, build using miniatures. Taking a you know a nylon stocking and turning it into a tornado. Yeah, old school. Yeah, and there's also on uh, on the sound side of it, there's what's called foley. There was a man, Jack Foley, foley yes, who created all of these you know people walking upstairs, a and,
0: library of audio. And, yeah.
1: And uh, that just absolutely fascinates me, especially in this time of CGI and everything's computer digitally generated. And I am really into you know paper mache. I've talked about this (laughs) and making miniatures with you know my miniature sports figures and stuff. Yeah, the
0: model making, model making, the miniatures and doing do it yourself type of props and scenery in the background. Right, it's the magic of movies. Yeah,
1: and using live analog paper mache cardboard instead of and you know computer programs and
0: it's cheaper it is you can do it yourself
1: you could i'll show you how to do it with the trash in your recycle can
0: there you go it doesn't get any cheaper than that you are listening to the san diego screenwriter studio it's freedom friday people sit tight and write.
1: Oh, thank you.